Right now on Tech Radio, we get into ChatGPT from beginners to the advanced class. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. This is episode 962 this week. If you are curious about the future of AI, a little later on, we're going to be chatting with a true technology visionary, Cara O'Carroll. She is a Fujitsu distinguished engineer who will walk us through AI from inception to where it's going to be later on this year. Also on the show, Microsoft are chasing Google Workspace. More job news on the tech sector and how AI is having some fun with Donald Trump. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Joining us, as always, is our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. Uh, Niall, in the last week or so, Google has opened up access to their version of AI. They're calling it BARD. Have you signed up or are you BARD? Uh, I I am BARD from BARD (laughs) for the moment. what about you? Or, uh, have you I have actually you been... haven't. I haven't gotten around to trying it. I've just kind of getting my head around the Microsoft uh, system with uh, Bing. Right. Okay. Which I find is really interesting because I'm I'm using both of these now a lot in my day to day, and ChatGPT seems to be really good for if I want ideas or or will you summarize this or that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when I go on and use Bing uh, AI, it's more kind of like it's looking at several different websites to come up with the answer. And I find somehow the answer is just quite not as good. Right. But it's it's probably more uh, uh, more up to date. Um, I thought at the weekend, because it was Six Nations final. Mm-hmm. Oh, when I say final, I'm talking about the England. It's like game. Super Saturday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I texted you actually at the time because you were at the game. No, and, I was. Uh, and and I said to uh, I said to Bing, what's the score? And I went, uh, I don't know. Bing did went, not oh, know the score. On. Come on, artificial intelligence, search, everything's going on now. What a drastic fail. I didn't try and chat GPT because that knows nothing after 2021. Yeah. But I did put into a Google search and boom, straight away. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you know, Bing couldn't even say Ireland are winning. No, nothing. <laughs> That's it funny. was just great. Anyway, listen, we're going to have way more about uh, AI and stuff like that with Cara a little later on in the show. Let's get into uh, jobs and news this week. And unfortunately, not good news. Yeah, not good news. Um, two very large operations are, uh, they're joining the joining the club, I suppose. One, one of them in, in increasing their membership. Uh, as we all know, uh, Amazon AWS have cut, I think it's something in the region of 10,000 jobs. They have now announced that they will be cutting an additional 9,000. Not quite sure how things are going to shake down in Ireland. Um, Similarly, uh, Indeed, the uh, jobs hosting site, um, they are cutting uh, 2,200 workers, which is about 10% of their workforce. Uh, We don't know what the spread is going to be in Mm. Ireland just yet. As you know, they've got a pretty impressive operation over here. But the way they did it uh, in Indeed was you got sent a letter uh, sorry, an email. And in the subject line, it either said your job is safe, paraphrasing here ever so slightly, your job is safe or sorry, we're letting you go. Isn't that what Elon Musk did with Twitter? Uh, yeah, 
only in a slightly more abrasive fashion. <laughs> it's like your services are no longer required. Um, but this is the thing. And this is something that really has stuck out to me over the last few months of redundancies across the entire tech sector uh, post-COVID and, you know, into Facebook's so-called year of efficiency. Like, that's that's wonderful, you know, we're, we're part of it. Um, this whole American idea of bringing your whole self to work. It's like, we want you to invest your life energy, not just, you know, your time and your skills and, you know, whatever, uh, it's, we want you to effectively adopt our company as part of your personal identity. But you know what? As soon as things turn south, you get dropped like a hot snot. It's, it's, it's fairly disgusting. I mean, in Ireland, I think we're quite cynical about everything. So when somebody says, you know, I'm, I'm going to hire you and I want this company to be your entire life. There's an element of, yeah, sure. Um, but I think there is a generation of people that actually bought into that and they went to work in these giant chocolate factories owned by, you know, the multinationals, the Googles, the Facebooks, whatever, because they want the perks, they want the cash on their uh, on their CV. Of course, these are very well-paid jobs as well. There's no downside, you know? Why wouldn't you want to, to buy into... Um, brand Facebook or brand AWS or brand Indeed, because they do provide very nice work environments. So why wouldn't you sort of buy into the value system? But, you know, that value system is dictated not by management, but by shareholders who have never met you. They don't care about you. They don't care about the work you do. And we're seeing an awful lot of this happening across the board in the tech sector, where people who've invested an awful lot of their lives are being dumped through no fault of their own in companies that are still profitable or still raising money uh, and still have very good valuations. But it's just because the shareholders are not happy because the money isn't happy that these people are being let go uh, and very often unceremoniously. And it is most frustrating to, to witness this from afar. But I mean, the upside is that the tech sector overall is still buoyant still lots of jobs out there, um, just not where you would have perhaps maybe mm. not at your first choice. We're definitely going through a blip at the moment. And I think, yes, we have all these layoffs, but what will happen is in a year or two, everything will come bouncing back to normal again. And hopefully we'll have blue skies. Uh, elsewhere in the news this week, uh, Microsoft is kind of playing catch up a little bit, I think, with Google Workspace uh, in that they've uh, finally uh, put out their loop into public preview. And this is kind of where you're able to collaborate live on certain documents with other people. So the kind of thing where in Google Workspace, where myself and Niall would be very used to, like, mm -hmm. you know, we're working on a, on a Word document because we're always changing the script as we're doing the show. <laughs> <laughs> Just as I'm getting to a fact, Niall's deleting it. It's like, oh, <laughs> no, we can't say that. Can't say exactly. that. We get into trouble for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of stuff going on. So Microsoft are uh, are pushing that out. I think that they're going to have a different attitude 
to that side of things than Google Workspace, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think Microsoft's attitude towards AI is very interesting because ChatGPT is, you know, it's not a Microsoft product, but Microsoft have invested billions in OpenAI. Yeah. Uh, which is the company that does it. So uh, as far as they're probably concerned, it's like, yeah, we have our generative AI over here and that's fine. Uh, However, their attitude seems to be more, again, on that productivity end of things. It's like, how how can we get AI in the back end of here to make Mm. things more convenient for people? So Mm. it doesn't have to be a generative AI. It doesn't have to be a chatbot or a conversational AI. It can be just something that makes you know, makes your life easier based on the projects you're working on or maybe your working patterns. I mean, you remember when Bixby came out for uh, Samsung devices and everyone was like, what a load of rubbish. But this is kind of what's happening with uh, with, um, 365, with Microsoft. It's just, it's figuring out how you use it and it's figuring out the best way to actually help you use your device without needing to, you know, interact with it or chat with it or do anything like that. Um, So I think Samsung kind of indicated over Bixby um, it's a, it's an interesting situation. I mean, what's happening with 365 with Microsoft is they're doing things like prioritizing your mail, sort of going, oh, look, here's an email here. And maybe in times gone, it would have been started, but you know what? Maybe he's forgotten about it. Let's bring this back up the top. Mm. Uh, or here's something to do with this project. Let's bring it back up to the top and show it. Um, and as you said, yes, there is document collaboration, but there's also things like, um, they're doing things like meeting summaries and minutes and that kind of thing. So all the sort of the drudge work that people, you know, you'd sit down in a meeting and somebody would go, okay, who's secretary? All that will be taken care of, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and as amazing as it is, it's not trustworthy because I've done all of these things you've said. And mm. somebody summed it up brilliantly the other day. They said, it's fantastic, but treat it like the worst employee you've ever had. Don't trust it. That's, <laughs> Check that's everything. really good advice. And I, thought, I thought that was quite good. Listen, just to uh, wrap up for this week, uh, we have one creator in the world who's found himself banned from mid-journey. Whatever did he yeah. do? Spare a thought for Bellingcat founder, Elliot Higgins. If you don't know what Bellingcat is, it's sort of a political... Uh, website, I suppose, kind of left leaning, and um, basically, what he did was, in order to, you know, a bit of, bit of trolling, or maybe to support some uh, some of the coverage he was doing, um, he put together uh, images of Donald Trump being arrested in New York. Because as we're speaking, um, all week the buzz has been that Donald Trump is going to be indicted in New York, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, his people are saying, oh, we want the perp walk. We want, you know, handcuffs. We want everything. This is going to be great for our media kind of thing. Um, so this chap went ahead and he gave us a bunch of AI generated pictures of Trump being arrested and resisting arrest and all this kind of thing and put them up on Twitter. Now, I saw these pictures straight away and I was like, oh, they're AI generated. Uh, and there's a couple of real tells. One is that I find textures on AI generated uh, fabrics to be very um, obvious. They, they don't look, they don't look natural at all. And if you look at some of the Trump photos, you'll see the jackets of the arresting officers. They, they're just very flat colored. They don't, they don't look realistic at all. Um, another tell that I could see, one of the pictures, uh, Trump is sort of being dragged along, but his legs are actually in these really, really wonky looking positions. <laughs> and you're like, no, a human being cannot adopt that pose. Definitely AI generated. How anyone could have fallen for it, I think was maybe a, a little bit of wish fulfillment. But uh, there you go. Uh, poor Elliot has been banned from mid-journey. 
apparently, if you use the word arrest as a keyword for generating yeah. an image, you're gonna, you're, it's not gonna work. So there you go. For anyone that thought those Trump pictures that look like, yep. you know, watercolors almost, um, were, were real. Sorry. Well, Nod, thanks as always for keeping us up to date. And as for Elliot... I'm sorry, you're fired. Get out of here. Remember, you can get the latest Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. Right now, it's time to chat with a true technology visionary, Cara O'Carroll. As a Fujitsu distinguished engineer, Kara has been at the forefront of driving change in the tech industry. And today she's about to share her insights on ChatGPT and Bard from their inception to the near future. So get ready to delve into the revolutionary potential of these technologies and why they have garnered so much attention, including from industry giants like Microsoft, who've invested heavily in their development. And Kara will explain why. So over to Niall and Kara. Carol, when last we spoke at the end of last year, when we were doing our roundup, you said that 2023 was going to be the year of AI. And at the time, I thought it was kind of, um, uh, I don't want to say a simple um, observation, but it was certainly something that we all saw on the horizon, but certainly not to the extent that we have actually had in 2023 so far, where AI and in particular ChatGPT has pretty much taken up the whole conversation in tech at the moment. So tell us a little bit about GPT uh, in particular, what it stands for. Right. Thanks, Niall. Um, GPT is a certain type of artificial intelligence model developed by the OpenAI group. GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. And what that is, it's a large language model that they have created through new research from their lab in San Francisco. At its core, it's essentially what's called a transformer model. And that means it's a deep learning model that gives you a sequence of text um, after you give it an input. So you ask it a question and it gives you an output then based on natural language processing. And that means that you can ask it a question in normal language and it'll give you an answer in normal language. And what ChatGPT is, it adds a, what we call an interface or a chatbot interface to GPT. So the the actual technology of GPT was developed around 2020. It was only when the chat interface came out and we got it on our phones and laptops and so on in December 2022 that it suddenly became really, really popular. And we fell in love with it essentially just before Christmas. And um, We were able to use it in a really tangible way and we were able to use it in everyday settings. So the chatbot interface was the, the bit that suddenly made it very usable. And now what we're seeing is that it's a new version has come out and was released in March called GPT-4. Now, the point to note is it hasn't changed the, the chatbot interface, you know, the, the bit where you type in a query and get it to produce a result. You know, maybe write a poem, summarize a story, write a story, whatever it is. Um, what has changed, though, is that the engine underneath has changed. So we've we've gone from the GPT-3 engine to the gpt engine, which is more powerful. So when we're looking at the actual additions to the new engine, the big one that we've all been told about is sort of the multimodal inputs, which is the ability to look at images as well as text. Uh, do we know anything more about what's going on or is there still an element of kind of trade secret about it? 
Yeah, I think this is one of the really interesting dynamics of what's going on right now. Um, it's GPT-4 because it's evolved through several different iterations. Um, we had, there was probably a GPT-1, which was the original model that they created in their research. Then there was GPT-2, then there was GPT-3. GPT-3 was 17 times larger than GPT-2, but we don't know how much bigger GPT-4 is. Not really. We do know GPT-3 was huge because it could use 175 billion parameters to make its, um, its results, and that's amazing. And we know GPT-4 can process about four, no, sorry, eight times more words than GPT. So if, for example, you had a document with 25,000 words and you wanted it summarized or you wanted some information from the document, you could feed the whole thing into GPT-4 now and ask it for a summary. And that's really, really handy. GPT-3 was a lot smaller. But what OpenAI aren't telling us is how big is the model now? How much uh, computing power does it cost to does it cost to run? How many parameters is it reading? They've started to become more secretive and less open. Now they're citing that because they don't want the competition to know all the details. But interestingly enough, their CEO is also saying we need to be more cautious in terms of how we release this code into the world. So that is quite a change from their beginnings. So that's quite a, a, an interesting point about the competition, because we are seeing Google come along with Bard, not as successful so far. We've seen Beidou come along with Ernie, uh, which we don't know an awful lot about yet. So ChatGPT still seems to be kind of the gold standard. And Microsoft has invested billions in OpenAI, the, the parent company. So I suppose the two questions are, and you raised one of them, uh, the costs of actually running it. Um, because we know that ChatGPT is actually, you know, per query, it's actually quite expensive to run compared to uh, uh, search as we know it. Um, but also, you know, the integration into Bing and what the actual payoff is going to be there. So where do you think sort of that revenue stream, uh, that consistent revenue stream is going to come from? Is it going to be through a through a um, subscription service, or do you think it will end up being ad supported through Bing? Yeah. Okay. So there there are mul multiple things to chat about. So, firstly, let's talk about Bing. Bing has eight point eight five percent, I think, of the search engine market out there, versus Google, who's around eighty five percent of it. And I have heard that for every one percent extra you gain in the search engine market, that's worth two billion dollars in revenue. That's huge. So I think, firstly, Microsoft are making a very clever play to integrate the GPT functionality into their systems and into their offerings so that they can gain more of the search market. So it'll have a really good payback if they get more and more usage of Bing. And having tried the new GPT interface in Bing, I have to say I do love it. Um, there's a much wider strategic play, I think, for Microsoft in this. So they first invested a billion. Then in January, they announced that they were looking at a multi-year, multi-billion investment in OpenAI. The first billion, some reports say 500, billion, 500 million was in cash, 500 million was on Azure, 
which is Microsoft's cloud computing solution. And since then, we've heard that Azure has the OpenAI um, suite built into it now, so they can sell that. And OpenAI and ChatGPT and so on need huge amounts of computing power to run. So Azure is becoming the dominant provider of their computing solution. And they've developed what's called a scalable scale-up and scale-out IT infrastructure, which is based on NVIDIA InfiniBand and interconnected NVIDIA Ampere Tensor Core GPUs. Um, you need an awful lot of horsepower, basically, to run these engines. And Microsoft have made a very strategic play to be OpenAI's partner for this. I suppose, yeah, when you look at it, if this is going to be the next generation of, you know, of search of something integrated into your browser, like they have done with Bing, this is kind of forward looking when it comes to sort of taming that search market. Do you think ChatGPT is one way of kind of redefining search uh, and maybe even making search as we know it kind of redundant? Yeah, I, I think it's a whole new, it's a whole revolution in search and how we manage and think about search, whether it's something for home or something for business. So, for example, I used Bing the other day. I was asked to help a friend with a cover letter. They wanted to move in, from one industry to another. And using the GPT functionality in Bing, I said, we need a cover letter of moving from this industry to the next. Can you help me with some points? And what the search engine gave back to me was, here are the key attributes you need for each of these different industries. You should get to give examples of how you've demonstrated both and also include your enthusiasm for why you want to move to the new industry. And if I compare that to how I used to do search in the past, I would typically search up what are the standard points in the cover letter. I'd read a few different websites. <clears throat> I would try to determine the common points between them. And then I'd have my blank page and I'd start. So for me, with this kind of functionality, it's now the end of the blank page. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's very, very different for searching now. And I, I see no point in going through lots of different links now to get to an answer. There is a point, though, that we seem to have an implicit trust of what the search engines will throw back to us. And if you're just getting a summarized answer in this type of uh, form, and you don't know where all the sources come from, you can't really fact check it or you can't see, you know, what what inputs have come to give you that output. So we need to be a bit careful about how we trust the answers as well. I think that's a problem we came across uh, with Wikipedia as well, where people were just using Wikipedia as their sole source of information. Uh, and of course, that throws up red flags, red flags straight away when it's community generated um, content that there's not necessarily any verification as to what people are putting up there. So uh, as you mentioned there with ChatGPT, do you think this will open up a space for you know new and more aggressive kinds of anti-plagiarism software as well? Yeah, I think so. And having spoken to a lecturer just last week, he, he was saying to me, how on earth do I know if somebody has written the content that they're giving me based on some search engine? I said, well, you don't know unless you buy the specific software that can detect it. I don't think the software is developed enough to pick it up. Um, yes, there are, I believe there is some software out there. There will need to be 
um, a way to detect, you know, where someone has produced their answers. Um, I would caution that you don't know if your answer is any different to anybody else's unless you have generated it fully yourself um, because somebody else could have put the same query into the model at the same time. Um, so there, there is scope for anti-plagiarism software or, you know, search engine generated uh, models, but it's it will be tricky, I think, because it, this is performing so well. You would probably need something comparable to detect, um, to detect that you know that your content is being produced by your ChatGPT type solution. I think that's so important to stress that if you ask ChatGPT to produce an essay, there's no guarantee that what you're getting is unique content. I I think that's probably going to do for the um, plagiarism article uh, uh, argument, uh, perhaps in the short term, if you're, you know, a a class is submitting points of view or points of analysis that are effectively identical, then uh, I think that's that might be a pretty powerful way to out ChatGPT as, you know, as a, a source of the writing. We also know that ChatGPT isn't always very reliable because uh, while it has a very good uh, interface when it comes to writing, it does have a habit of what they call hallucinating, where you might get information back that is written in a convincing way, but actually might have been assembled poorly or assembled using um, uh, unreliable information that you end up getting something that is completely false back. So there's still this issue of having to fact check whatever you submit. Oh, totally. Um, And what's happening is these engines are presenting you back text that it is... um, presenting it back in a confident way. And you think, okay, this must be fact because it's presented so confidently, but essentially it's making up information. And the way these lang- these language models are trained is they're trained to predict the next word and they're trained to predict the next sentence. And the pre-training piece means that they are learning by themselves firstly to a large extent, and then they go through a fine tuning piece. And when you probe a bit deeper, you find there may be some human of human input in the fine tuning piece, but you don't know how the language was uh, and model was originally designed. You know, it'll be designed to minimize bias and be diverse and all the rest, but you don't know how the pre-training stages went. And you also don't know really how well the fine tuning went. So you have that angle as well as general accuracy angle. Now, there, the model has improved to be able to cite sources. So in ChatGPT3 before Christmas, if you asked it to present you with something and then you asked it to give you a list of sources for where did you come up with that information, it couldn't give them to you. So if um, you said, you know, give, give me four case studies with this these kind of parameters, and then you said, well, give me the links to those case studies, it couldn't do it. Whereas now it will give you um, more citations, which helps. So I tried it yesterday or today. I said, you know, give me the top three research papers on large language modules. Not only did it give me three, it also argued for why they were the top three. And then I asked a similar question, said, well, why do you think these have the most impact? And it also reasoned why they had the impact they had. And I thought that was interesting because there's no way ChatGPT3 
could have done that. Now, so it has citations, but it's also, remember, not the full body of knowledge that we have as humanity. The body of knowledge goes up to September 2021. So it does not have access to current data sources. And the longer that goes on, the more the ability to give us back you know, meaningful and current information will be limited. But I so, think we do need to, to probe and double check what we get. So again, looking at that sort of multimodal aspect of ChatGPT4, we've already got generative AI art through the likes of Midjourney, through the likes of DALI. Is this a function that you can see integrated into ChatGPT or is this going to be sort of the, the chatbot model? Is that going to be sort of the primary interface still? Yeah, so now two things. So GPT4 includes the DALI functionality within it. But the interface piece is different. So if you want to use GPT-4, if you go onto the OpenAI website and go that route, you're in through the, the same chat GPT interface. And what you do is you select the GPT-4 engine instead of GPT-3 or 3.5. Alternatively, you can go through Bing and use their website interface. Or you can go onto your app store and download multiple apps that include uh, have GPT-4 as the back end. And once you have GPT-4 as your back end, then those apps on your app store will give you that visual search and the other opportunities in there. What OpenAI do is their, their heritage is essentially research-based since they formed around 2015. So they're, they actually haven't invested in changing the what we would call the user interface or the way you interact with GPT. They did. They put chat in front of it in December and then it became widely popular, but they're not continuing to put in lots of new, new ways to interact with it. They're relying on other developers and other partners to do that. So that's interesting. So do you think uh, when it comes to app development in the future, the, the way that we got used to branding like Intel inside for, for years, we might get something like ChatGPT inside just as that sort of little stamp to sort of show, yep, this is the technology behind it and you know what you're getting with it. Yeah, that's really insightful, Niall. Um, I think that's exactly what will happen. And if you go into an app store, you'll see that you just search for GPT-4 and you can find reams of apps which have GPT-4 inside. So the an app developer, if he can link into GPT-4, get, that gives him credibility or her in terms of, you know, how the app is going to work. And OpenAI publish uh, pricing for how you can get into the API, how you can use use the system and so on. So it's, Definitely, I think it spawned a, a new category of apps where they're really, really leveraging it. Whereas when we talked before Christmas um, about doing things like creating art through an app on your phone, it was m much more limited. It was hard to get access to DALI 2 and so on. Now it's much, much easier. And that was Kara O'Carroll, a Fujitsu Distinguished Engineer, chatting with Niall Kitson. Oh.
This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. There are more stories online that we didn't have time for in the podcast, including a former Facebook employee in Greece who has fallen victim to spyware. The Science Foundation Ireland Research Centre, Future Neural, has announced two innovative projects using patient data and Microsoft shows off its co-pilot AI. The details of all of those stories on our website for you right now at techcentral.ie. We're back again next Friday on RTE Radio and Extra. And of course, you can get new episodes automatically by clicking the follow button on your podcast player right now. Until next time, for myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, as always, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.